Hello, Maxine Simata Kavithit Kamraig, Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Hing Grando are Podlidiad Newith, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices to the anthem. Marching like a mighty army, Wrexham is the name. Hello, Christ on all. We are Fearless in Devotion, the podcast all about Wrexham AFC, sponsored by the Fat Boar Restaurant and Bar. If you haven't been to the Fat Boar already, then what are you doing with your lives? Go. If you're a regular, then that's great, but please do tell the staff there that you only go there because they sponsor this podcast, so they keep covering our costs. It's, it's the only reason you go there, isn't it, Tim? It is indeed, yeah. You've got to put the money in the pockets for it to come full circle. So they're doing a grand job. And yeah, lots of uh, lots of wonderfully themed nights coming up your way. Wonderful. Uh, today we've got another great guest lined up for you in uh, a former uh, Wrexham youth talent, uh, youngster Leo Smith. We're also going to discuss a return to live football for so many fans. Tim will have his, his take on what he saw in Tamworth on Saturday. But before that, we just wanted to thank you all for the reaction to the Paul Rutherford interview. It's been quite something, hasn't it? Yeah, Um they say honesty is the best policy. It's certainly the best for podcast figures, that's for sure. Um, everybody's commented on on him laying it all out, really, and not skirting around anything, just kind of telling it how it is, really. Um, and it just came across really well. I was quite taken taken aback by the reaction, but it was it was really nice to hear. So thanks to everybody for the comments and people that have got in touch and and, and uh, fed back to us. It's uh, it's appreciated and it's important going forward that we we take that on board uh, and, and listen to you guys. So, yeah, thank you for that. Andy, you had quite a lot of tweets about it, didn't you? Yeah, and I also had a, a chat with Paul about it after. Like, after we did it, uh, Paul came back to me and said, look, do you reckon I came across all right? Do you reckon Do you reckon people will, like, like buy into what I said and I said I think they probably will mate to be honest <laughs> but I mean even, even that you know he's done such a good little interview there but he's still sort of worried how people how people yeah. will perceive it well you know even the stuff about Callum Powell which you know sometimes you, you look back on and you think oh maybe should I have said that and I said to Paul don't worry about it everyone is on your side about that <laughs> you were no, no, no. You because no, you true. were just you were telling it how how we saw it, but it's good yeah. to get someone on the other side to say yes. The yeah. fans were right about this. The fans were right about that aspect of Brian Hughes. The fans were right about you know we wanted to keep Ricketts because we thought he was a good man. Just, you you confirmed a lot of things that we we already thought. Yeah, and Liam Red Passion correspondent. It went down well, even on Red Passion. Dare I say it? Yeah, it was pretty universal in terms of um, people's feedback. I think for me, it was the fact that you're getting an insight into Paul Rutherford, the person, which I personally didn't really have before. But from listening to him, you can see, can't you, why managers consistently signed him back up again? Because um, like you said about Kev Roberts, he'd tackle your nan, but (laughs) Rutherford would run through walls for for Wrexham. Uh, And I think that's how came across. Yeah, <laughs> I just think my favourite line was uh, I, they used to say I'd, uh, I'd chase Chris Packets. Oh yeah, I chase Chris Packets for you. It sums up the player quite well. Um, on Paul Rutherford, actually, we've had an email as well. It's from Henry Jones. 
who emailed us in to say, I'm halfway through the interview with Paul Rutherford and it's a superb listen. He's such a good lad. Uh, Henry goes on to say some very kind things about the podcast, for which we are very grateful indeed. I won't read it out because it sounds a bit conceited, but we do very much appreciate it. Please feel free to email us in about anything and everything on fearlessindevotion at gmail.com, especially if you've got nice things to say. If you want to slag us off, then fair enough. Maybe just do it behind our backs to a friend or something. Then you get that off your chest and our fragile egos remain intact. Um, anyway, uh, back to Wrexham. Tim, you were in Tamworth yesterday. Uh, how was the atmosphere, first of all? It looked quality. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was a little bit, not so much muted. I think people were kind of finding their feet again, you know, just seeing everybody back in the clubhouse and, and just trying to get back into a routine that we've not had for, for 18 months. So it was nice to to get back into into that environment and yeah, once once the place started warming up, the chants came out. Everybody was buzzing, really. It was nice, nice to to be back out there to see the lads. Obviously, everything's changed um, since we were last at a game, both on and off the pitch. Uh, but yeah, it was really good. We really enjoyed it, and ultimately, they they put on a hell of a show for us. Well, yeah, let's get on with it on the pitch. You're, you're let's say you're the fearless in devotion scout, Tim. What uh, what have you got for us? What's the scouting report? Skeleton report is, um, I think we can safely say that Keats Ball has been fully laid to rest. It was as much, as bad as Tamworth where you can only beat what's in front of you as, as the old adage goes. And Wrexham were just on it from the get-go. It, just, it was just relentless, absolutely relentless. Second balls picking up everything. The energy was just, just non-stop. Really, really good. Before we came in here, I was just saying that I can't remember the last time I saw a Wrexham team keep the ball on the ground for as much as they did throughout that game yesterday. You know, there was no hoofing it long. We, we were just so expansive, playing it through the channels, left, right, through the middle, just mixing it up. And it was really, really nice to see. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it was strange. The goals were coming in, they were going in. There was no wild, wild um, celebrations because obviously pre-season friendly, but warmly greeted with each goal a couple of changes at half time and obviously gradually throughout the match and, and overall you know it, it, it's an A star sort of main first performance from, from the lads in front of uh, the watching fans they, they didn't really from from everybody in that squad nobody put a foot wrong we could we're not going to discuss everyone but what what can you tell us about the trialists we had, we've had confirmation haven't we about who they were now basically uh, and and how they played yeah so i think we've got akpan massive huge presence don't think i saw him lose the ball just the bulldozer um really quick for for a big man reads the game well um was helping out everybody around him wasn't just sort of what you're stuck in one place, he was roaming all over the place. I was particularly impressed by by Dave Jones. It's one of those you're kind of trying to figure out who's who when they come out, you know. And um, Dave Jones is always in, in his previous career a bit of a skinhead, so I didn't really recognize him at first. He's kind of like Mark Carrington the second with his sort of flowing locks and and uh, stubble, but really, really good. Um, reading the play superbly, he was always a couple of steps ahead. As soon as that ball was coming, he'd, he'd already scoured around him to see what was on, um, which is nice. He's kind of got that shades of Ferguson about him, um, 
you know, probably a bit more pace than what Fergie had at the time. So definitely one to consider if all, all goes to plan. I'm not sure what sort of deal he'd be, he'd be looking at, but you know, there's that midfield presence and experience that maybe we've lacked in recent years. So he, he was he was good. Um, I can't think of the other one was. Was it Furman, I think we were saying? Yeah, Carlisle yeah. lad, Furman. We weren't expecting him, were we? It was the first that anyone had seen of him, I think. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember too much about him, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I even got bloody uh, Dan Jarvis wrong. I said it was French because, like, him, Jarvis, or well, Jarvis, French, Dior, there's, there's just a ruck of them with blonde hair, but how I got um, Jarvis mixed up with, with French, I'm not, I'm not too sure, but never mind. Jarvis, he was brilliant, really, really good. He was involved in absolutely everything. He was everywhere. Um, they couldn't track him. Time with lads could not track him. Um, one minute he's on the left, one minute he's on the right. He was loving it. And, and again, it's you know, it, it's that prime example of, of some players don't don't get along with certain managers, or they just don't work as well under certain managers. And that seemed to be the case under Keats, as will be with Redmond when he comes back in the fold. So it's nice to see these players that have been on the periphery that we know are talented. Finally, the, the, the sort of the, they've thrown the shackles off and started to show what they can do. And we all know Jarvis is a really good player, and he started to show that yesterday. So long may it continue. Can I talk about the formation? So Dennis Smith, when he first came to Wrexham, looked at the players, looked at the league, and said, "Right, I'm going to tailor a formation that's going to do the best in this league." So he went three-five-two. I, I think we all know that Phil Parkinson loves to play three at the back. And I think generally Phil Parkinson would play a three-five-two. But I think he's looked at the looked at what Wrexham need to do, and it that is force games. So I think he's trying to do a three-four-three. That's why We've been sort of questioning why is he bringing in so many front front men. But if you're bringing in the likes of McAlinden and you're going to have him on the right of a three, if you can have Mullin in the middle, if you can have someone to the left, I think that makes more sense. So do you think he's sort of shaping this squad for a 3-4-3, three, three, three at the back? He's going to probably need to bring in another centre-half. He's probably going to need a controlling midfielder, which could be... It could be Jones, it could be Furman, it could be next to, to the energy of Scott uh, of, of uh, Luke Young, and then you've got like RHJ, and you've got maybe Green or Reckford the other side. Do you think that's where he's going, Tim? I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, looking at it yesterday, I mean, Tamworth didn't really trouble us in any way, shape, or form. That that defence was very well protected. Grizzly was superb. Completely forgot that Sean Pearson's been and gone, um, to be honest. And then, yeah. In terms of what you're saying, I mean that midfield, it, it, there is some quality there. It needs adding to, but on the whole, it was just they protected that defence really well. And again, going back to Jones, he was helping out a lot. He was dropping deep, pushing on where he needed to. He's not, he's obviously not the fastest guy around, but his positional awareness and his overall reading of the game just makes these situations so much easier. When you've got a player like him, you can just bounce that off him. So I, I just think, you know, looking at it. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be um, fully au okay fait with positional stuff, if I'm honest. I'm not, not that ingrained in it as maybe you and a few of the others are. But, yeah, I think I think you're probably right. And it, there was just there was an element of flair about things yesterday, which was nice. And, and it seems that Parkinson has, has placed a lot of uh, faith in the fitness of that squad. I like the fact that you can go 3-4-3 three, three against some of the lesser sides. 
and really take the game to them. But I also like the fact that you could probably switch to a 3-5-2 against the likes of, I don't know, County or Stockport, have that little bit more, you know, be a bit more solid. But yeah. then, you know... I wonder, you, I wonder still... as well, I wonder as well if he'll do it if a 4-3-3. I mean, it's been... It was obviously the formation in the season where we did the best in this league. It would suit... Uh, the fact that we've got so few midfielders at the moment and so many attackers, but um, mm. as you say, three four three does seem to make the most sense. And as you say, Parkinson does seem to be saying basically after every interview, I'm still working out what the best shape is. You know, you know, I know we're only a few weeks for the season, but to be fair to him, he's not had a huge amount of time to see everyone, so he's trying to work out what he's got and what works best. You know, I, as I say, I, I've got full faith in him that they'll make the whatever the, the most sensible decision is. And as you say, hopefully they can be flexible as well. How much did Mullin move about the front uh, the front three, Tim? Was oh. he sort of central? Did he sort of move move around? Because the Cambridge lad the, the week before him. said, you know, you need him up there, you need him in the box. He was everywhere. He was everywhere. He was on the left and, and, and cut in with his right foot to pres- provide the assist for the first goal. Next minute, he's on the right running down the flank, turning their defence inside out. Put a tweet out yesterday. It kind of reminds me of kind of Morel and Trundle kind of rolled into one. He's just a horrible, horrible player to play against. His upper body strength is really, really good. He likes to try things. If it's on, he'll give it a wallop. If it's not, he'll look for the best option. Very intelligent player. Very impressed yesterday. Um, He definitely brings more to the table than just goals. Like, it's... Mm. His fist and and his awareness of the players around him. He was just finding pockets of space all the time. And when they were getting near him, he was just inducing the fouls. He didn't lose the ball. I don't think he lost the ball once. So yeah, bulldozer, that rim ram kind of kind of fella, um, who, you know, hopefully he's 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 kind of the finished product he's come to us looking that way anyway. But yeah, really, really impressive. Would you say Marundel or Terrell? <laughs> I'd say neither. Yeah, mo- mo- moving on. Uh, let's let, on that bombshell. Let's move on to our interview this week. Special guest Leo Smith. I let Tim introduce him. First and foremost, welcome Leo to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Um... I'm delighted to be here, to be fair. Yeah, it's good to have you on. And we, we tried a, a little bit earlier, but you've been too busy banging in goals in Europe for TNS. So, um, you know, <laughs> your calls, I guess. So we've got you now, and we'll come back to that afterwards. But let's go right back. I mean, what are you now? 23 now, aren't you, I think? 23, yeah, just turned 23, yeah. Take us back to when you were first at the club, because you were obviously a product of the youth system. I'm always kind of interested in how a uh, somebody who's in that youth setup makes that transition and that bump up to the first team. So from the outside looking in, it just things it just seems like well you've got to you've got to impress, you've got to progress, and then you'll get your chance. Is it as cut and dried as that, or it, do you have to really, really, really jump through several hoops to get to that stage? Just give us an idea of what that setup was like, and what the structure was like, and how you found it at, at such a young age. Um, I first signed that. Like obviously Wrexham when I was I think under fourteens and obviously until under sixteens you're just training three times a week, obviously Tuesday, Thursday, 
nights and then Saturday mornings. But we had games on Sunday, and obviously my parents were taking me there and back, obviously after work and stuff. So it was a big commitment from them. So I appreciate all the help I've had off people along the way as well. Um, but obviously since that, I then I got offered a scholarship. But it was me and George. So we got offered a three-year scholar. Which John Davis, like, yeah. yeah, so see, me and Jordan are quite close. So see, through through the age groups and then with you. So with a third year scholar, it, they kind of said, "Oh, it's like a development year because they took so much on for the youths that that year." So they said, "Oh, they can take two extra lads." Um, so the first year, me and Jordan weren't getting paid, and I was mm. I had to move to to Bala with. I mate who Dan Roberts who is um playing at, in the youth with me as well. So for two years I was living there with him in San Nerbel near Bala and then but the first year it was quite tough because obviously we weren't in college at the time, so it was literally just training every day, but I, I wasn't getting paid. So it was kind of like a big commitment for myself. And I just thought if I get that year out of the way and then obviously when I start getting paid through scholarship money and I just kind of worked hard. But after the second year they kind of, you know, I had a good season. I scored like, I think 13, 14 goals that year for the youths and all that, you know, from centre mid. And then they kind of told us, Joey pulled us in. Me and Jordan basically said, oh, that Gary Mills has said that he wants me and George to be involved with the first team. So we were just training pre-season, everything like that. Um, but still, scholar wage, you know, travelling everywhere mm. and all that, getting no really any help from that to be fair so I just thought you know George I think George went out on loan he went out on loan to Bangor I think yeah. and I asked to go out on loan as well just to get games and stuff um, but they said like, oh no because I was just you know playing for the youth or whatever but then training every day with the, with the first team but travelling like a 17th 18th man but I was going all over the place and just getting no like wasn't even on the bench and I just felt they were, there was one game I think um, we were playing away somewhere where I remember Newt, Sean Newton at the time he came to me and he was like oh I think you'll make the bench tonight and I was like proper excited but then um, at the time I don't think he, he never used to put a keeper on the bench Gary Mills and then he um, he put a keeper and I just felt like oh, I'm, I'm never going to get a chance he, I think he got sacked Keats he come straight in was it and then yeah. um it was an FA Cup game, but I got concussed in the in the in the Resi game um, the, that week. But he he said, "Oh, I would have been start like starting in, in the like whatever cup game we were playing in." So I was quite gutted with that. But then, you know, the ne- next league game, I think I, I came on as a sub. I think yeah. we went two one at the end. Yeah, Bromley, wasn't it? I think yeah, it was like October, oh, so. October two thousand sixteen. So. Before we get to, to, to that debut and, and Dean, just you mentioned Joey there. Obviously, everybody knows about Joey, what sort of person he is, what sort of player he was. Um, I mean, that, that, that's got to be an extraordinary experience in itself, isn't it? Having that experience of, of him. So give us an insight into, into the, the workings of Joey and, and, and the sort of dialogue you had and, and, and your thoughts on, on Gary Mills, because clearly... He's he's obviously had the recommendation that you and Jordan were good enough to make that first team or to be involved in and around the first team. How did you find him? Because obviously there's 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 lots of wonderful tales about about pre-match 
um, slurps down the pub before a game and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> give us a sort of give us a, a, an idea, but a little bit on Joey because obviously it's always good to hear about him, but but more so about about Millsy as well. Um, I think with Joey, I think you know everyone in Wrexham or not even in Wrexham in Port Maddock and wherever you go in North Wales, I think everyone knows Joey Jones, and I think he was massive with me, and I, I, like there's a lot of people that still in contact with Joey that I kind of get messages off saying like you know Joey still thinks I should be at Wrexham Joey still thinks you know I, I should have had a better more of a chance and stuff so he always had faith in me and I, when I was there I used to talk to him quite a lot um, he obviously knew how frustrated I was um, playing less and less kind of thing and mm. he, he was a massive part of me like kind of enjoying my time at Wrexham as well um, but no I think He's just been a massive part of helping me grow as a as a person as well. Um, obviously, every footballer or whatever you do in life, you you get ups and downs. But when you've got people like that have been there and done it, kind of you know helping you and guiding you along the way, it kind of helps massively. Yeah. And on the flip side, um, obviously Millsy hasn't hasn't achieved what what Joey did. <laughs> Um, what was it? What they both won the European Cup. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> how, how did you find him? Because um, you must have had some sort of daily interaction with him, especially when you started encroaching in and around the first team. So obviously it was him and, and Darren Kasky. How did you how did you find find them as a as a pair? Um, I felt like um, you know sometimes the training sessions were okay they were very like you know intense so quite good and stuff like that um, obviously I think most people know about like you said like the pre pre-game or pre whatever antics and stuff like that but um, it was kind of like I think as a young lad I think I was yeah 17, 18 at the time or I, I don't think he kind of interacted with young lads as such or he just kind of went to the older pros kind of thing and but uh, most of the time, I just felt like maybe we weren't a part of his plans or what, we were just there to make up the numbers kind of thing. Mm. You talked about the pre-match antics. You know, how aware were you of those? You know, uh, did you hear stories or were you there for them? I, I just remember going once, I think we we stopped halfway or going down to London or somewhere like that and we just stopped halfway to have a bit of um, a little bit of games and stuff like that. And it was a bit kind of like weird of what, we were doing like having a game of darts and stuff like that, which you know, the stuff like that was quite like quite cool. It was different, you know what I mean? But um, no, it was quite strange as well. But yeah. to, to be fair, I'm quite kind of like looking back, and I don't even remember kind of that side of you know being involved or travelling. I just remember like travelling everywhere and just kind of like knew that I wasn't going to get any sort of a chance, kind of thing. Must have been quite demoralising. Yeah, hundred percent. 100%. It's just kind of like going everywhere and just not like knowing that you're not getting a chance to just make up the numbers kind of thing. Can I just apologise to the listeners for Jesus wept. I'm trying to message that Burke in North London to mute himself, but he, um, he, you can hear him tapping away in his mouse and he's not replying and now he's gone off. I don't know what he's doing. He's throwing plates around in his kitchen by the sounds of it because he's still actually technically working or so he tells us. Jesus wept, Andy. And he's clearly 20% Greek. He's just like, smashing glasses in the kitchen. Yeah, I think he's... Andy, we're slagging you off, mate, because you, when yeah. you're not muting yourself and you go into a kitchen and throwing plates around. 
I wasn't throwing plates around. I was opening a bottle of beer. Right. Anyway, oh, back. But you're supposed to be working, mate. Anyway, but back on, back on to it. Sorry, Tim. P- p- carry yeah, on there, Andy. Andy's. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of kick the ass out of it, but I'm still intrigued about about the Mills thing. Um, <laughs> was this was this like a, a, a regular pub that he knew, or was it was it just a case of? Oh, you driver, we've, we've seen this pub, just pull it here and we'll, we'll, we'll crack on with the darts yeah. and the pool and, and the beers. No, I think, um, I don't know if it was a story or, you know, he had a family member who kind of run the pub or right. so every, every time we went down south or maybe we kind of stopped off for, it was kind of a regular thing or we'd stop off and have some food there kind of thing, yeah. So he's just doing a favour for his uncle, probably, by the sounds of it. He's Re- Rex- <laughs> Wrexham was bankrolling his cousin or something, is the moral of the story. <laughs> I think so, yeah, a little sponsorship deal there, I think. <laughs> Leo, can, can you just sort of say, like, you know, you said you were about, how old, about, you know, 16, 17-year-old lad coming into this environment and coming into, like, first-team players. Was there anyone there who sort of, like, really took you under their wing? Was there other people who sort of, that challenged you a little bit? What was it like coming into to that first-team squad? Um, obviously, you know, big names that have been there for years or I think that at that time you had a bit of a a lot of new players coming in, Um but um, you know, big, big names and stuff like that being around the kind of squad. So when I come in, like I think Robbie Evans, obviously when I was coming through the academy stuff, I, I knew that he was in the youth and he was the captain there. And obviously he went through the first team and obviously I kind of looked up to Robbie as well. And when I got involved, it kind of took me under his wing and I kind of like, we got close, like good mates. Um, so Robbie helped me a lot. And I think, Anthony Barry was there at the time and, and I, he kind of helped me a lot as well and obviously he's played and obviously he's doing well with his coaching and stuff like now but at the time he, he was he was talking to me helping me and guiding me along the way as well yeah so obviously Millsy um, departs the club Dean Keats comes in as you've mentioned um, slightly earlier he gives you your debut I think win 2-1 against Bromley Um and then take us from there, because I think you made, I think it was 20 appearances that season. Um, so that must have been, on the flip side to, to, to how you felt under Mills, you've now been given your chance, you've grasped it and, and took it with both hands. So you must have been, you must have been delighted at this point. Of course, um, I kind of look back and obviously I, I think I've played most of the games that season, which I look back and know 100% that I wasn't kind of up to the standard. Like, I don't think I was fit enough at the time or obviously the standard from youth football to the first team men's football is completely different. I felt like um, I, I was I was getting injured a lot or like tired, you know, uh, um, getting muscle injuries, calves or stuff like that. And I remember at the time, but I was... Because we were with, like, I think we were on a good run at the, at the time. So he kind of, he did give me a lot of, like, he's shown a lot of faith in me, like, keep uh, to keep me in the team and stuff like that. Um, so, but I do know that at the time, so the season after that, I made sure that I went home pre-season. I, I worked on my fitness and I, you know, I, I went to the gym quite a bit. And I felt like that season after, I felt like I was a complete different player to what I was when I was actually playing. But I felt like 
I think I played seven seven times that season, which I knew 100%. I was double the player I was the season before. You, you said that, that, you know, you, you went up to the sort of physicalities of it and, and the jump from, from the youth to the first team was, was pretty big. And then you've come back, worked on your fitness, worked on, on, on the physique... What 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 changed in that time? Did did you uh, did you fall down the pecking order? I'm trying to think who was in front of you and so on. Because obviously to, to make 20 appearances at the back end of that season, and then going into the next season, so it was 2017 2018, seven appearances before the loan spells came along. Did, did did Dean give you any indication of where that was going? Did he say he was still very much in your plans, or, or what was the the sort of conversations you had with him at that point? Um, if I remember what um, it was just kind of like I'm sure I come back pre-season I was scoring you know, a couple pre-season we changed to a like a 4-4-2 kind of formation but you know the person on the left was kind of coming in as a number 10 so it was kind of me or Martin Kelly at the time because Kelly was playing on the left and um, it, it, like pre-season I felt like obviously I think I scored obviously the, the winner away in Portugal yeah. um, which I felt like I felt much more like mature and I, I wasn't as scared because maybe the, the season before I was kind of nervous or like to make mistakes. I was too too nice or I just looked to, to, to play the simple pass um, at times. Like, like I know I kind of like got on a ball which I was feeling confident. I was doing little dribbles and playing good balls through and stuff. But I knew like the pre-season I was getting, like feeling confident each game which I felt a part of the team. I felt like, you know, it could have been me or him. So I did feel a part of the team and I felt like, you know, I've got a good chance. But I remember when it started to getting closer to, to the league game, I just felt like, obviously, he was picking his favourite um, starting eleven. But I'm sure that, like, I'm sure Kelly got injured. So I started three or four games on the bounce, which I think we won three or four on the bounce. I'm sure Hartley Paul at home then um, I come in at half time and I said oh I've, I've got a tight hamstring which I just felt like I wanted to kind of like either rub it off but he's took me off at half time um, so the game after then Kelly went straight in I'm sure he got injured again so I started the next two after that yeah. but after that it was literally either on the bench or not I was in the same kind of mind as I was the season before like thinking I'm just a you know the 16, 17th, 18th man that's just not getting looked at to kind of come on, which I, I personally felt in training. And, and I, I had the number of people that have been close to, uh, you know, seeing training or being involved saying that I should have played more of a part because I did feel, you know, when when you're looking back at that season, you like I felt like that creative spark or it was kind of not a basic play, but I felt like I could have made a bit of a difference in kind of a different style of play or a different player to add into a game which you need like we needed a goal or sometimes I, I was watching off the bench or in the stand thinking you know I could do something here but I just never got a chance and I remember asking out to go out on loan and, and they said again like no chance because obviously you're still a part of our squad which I kind of knew I wasn't which was kind of like heartbreaking to be honest hmm. Do you feel? Do you feel they were just paying you lip service then by saying that? Oh, we we we, you know, we don't want to let you go out on loan. You're very much part of the squad. But from what you're saying there, you felt that that wasn't 
wasn't the truth. I just felt like when you when you were looking, I, I remember once he said that you you just wanted to go with experience, pure experience to to go and win the league or to go achieve the the promotion that we wanted, and I just felt like, well, you know, I, I played twenty odd the season before, and he's the same manager, which I felt like, why couldn't I get more of a chance of showing? what I'm actually capable of or showing what I do in training in a game. So in terms of, of the loan move, because I think the first loan was Slandidno, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Did, did you did you push for that or was it a case of I've just got to sit tight and wait and see what happens and hopefully get another <coughs> chance again or, or was that the club's suggestion and, and something that you jumped at? Um, I think, again, the season after that, I felt like pre-season, I made sure I was working harder again from what I did previously. And um, Sam Ricketts came in and, and obviously he did say he was impressed. He watched a couple of clips of me and stuff like that and he was impressed. And I felt like pre-season he was giving me the chance to play with freedom, which I felt like I enjoyed. And But he was I just noticed the squad was getting bigger and bigger, which I felt hmm, I, I could be just going down the pecking order here again, which I felt like I'm going to have to kind of see where, where I'm at at this club. Like, obviously, I, I loved all my time at Wrexham, which, I, like, I still look back and, I, obviously, I, I do wish I was still back there. And, mm. um, I'm good with how stuff ended out. But he, he came to me and he said, um, I think it was made and head away. And I was obviously, again, 17th, 18th man, you know, running before the game and having a shower. And I remember he pulled me and he was like... Um, the manager at Sandy those spoke to him, um, asking me to go out alone. Well, they come up to me, he's like, What do you think of Sandy? No, and I said, it's, it's a nice place, like, it's not too far from mine. And he said, Yeah, got a nice home. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just went, um, No, like, what do you think of alone to Sandy? No, and I just thought, Because um, I was maybe looking to go Conference North or whatever, but um, he just said, Oh, what, what do you reckon? I said, um, Well, I just want to know, obviously, it's my last year. Does that mean, like, it's done for me at this club? And he said, no, no, not, not at all, obviously. It's basically just getting out there to, to make sure you're getting game time, that's all, because, like, I see you a big part of this, this club and it, my plan. So I just thought, all right, why not? So I went to Sandid, no one. I think, being honest, I, I enjoyed three three out of how, however games at Sandid, no. Um, which... Again, I felt like I did everything that I could there, and I'm sure. I'm sure. Obviously, Sam Ricketts he went to Shrewsbury then, which yeah. Graham Barrow took over and stuff like that. And I, so I, I made sure that Sam did know then that I. Well, I told them I wanted to train once there rather than twice to make sure I'm getting, you know, as much as possible training at Wrexham to, yeah. to show that I still want to be there and prove that I should deserve a chance. Um, so he, to be fair he said you know we're still looking at you coming back in January and seeing where it goes from there and I was and I was saying well obviously Sam Rick has said I, I was a part of you know this club going forward and and then they just said yeah no problem um, just go out and enjoy your, your games which I wasn't enjoying at all like but mm. it was just getting game time obviously I, I enjoyed being at home at the time because I was coming home a bit more than what I used to when I was living in Wrexham. Um, and I'm sure, I, I can't remember, though it was Green Barrel at the time, which I've come back on loan 
um, from Sandino and I thought, all right, I'm going to push myself to, you know, for a place in Wrexham. I've got six months left. Um, and he just said, um, like, can I have another inquired for you? Um, and I said, right. well, all right, that's another six months. Does that mean again? Like, w- where do I stand? And he said, like, we'll, we'll sort out something for you to, you know, going on to next season. So I, so I thought at the time, okay, I'll, you know, Carnarvon, closer to home, I have friends there, and I thought, I'll go there and enjoy my football again for the last part of the season, which which I did there, 100% every game with the fans yeah. and stuff like that. And I remember um, Brian Hughes took over, so I made sure then that, you know, I was training every day, doing everything, and I, I pulled him up and I said, like, I just want to know, you know, where I stand kind of going forward. Um, which obviously he'd come through Wrexham and obviously he was quite close to, you know, I think Joey, everyone like that at the club who was still there and was kind of pushing for me to make sure that I was going to get a new deal, which he told me at one point, um, 100% he was looking at the midfield three for, for next season. And he was talking to me like, and I felt, okay, like I'm feeling positive because I said, I'm just going to go and enjoy the last couple of games left in in um, Carnarvon and go back fresh next season after sorting out a new deal um, and I remember um, they told us obviously lads are coming in to to sort out contracts or get released or whatever and, and I was the last on, on the list which I felt like you know I had in my head I'm, I was going to get new contract I wasn't there on didn't want more money I, if they offered me the same money for an extra year 100% I would have took it just to be a part of the club, that's all I wanted. And I told him that and um, he turned around and he said, like, I'm sorry, that he he said, um, would you come back pre-season for a trial? At, uh, you know, I haven't seen you as much. And I just looked at him and I thought, I've been here for, you've been here for months and you've seen me every day in training. You've had chance to come and watch me in Carnarvon play. It's not like I wasn't out alone just training. And I said, you know, it's not fair that you've told me basically uh, you know, I was going to get a new contract and, and now you're telling me that he was asking me to come back pre-season and I just thought to myself like I've got to do what's best for me and I just thought I've got to get somewhere to make sure I'm playing week in, week out and, and that's what I did, yeah. In terms of Brian Hughes, he, he said to you that you are going to get a new contract. Then there's a U-turn come in, impress us in pre-season. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is it fair to, to say you felt a sort of a little bit of disrespect in regards to that change of tone? 100%. I still look back at, I still remember you know, being in the office and having that conversation. I just felt like, to be honest, I did break down in the car. I just felt like, you know, yeah. I drove an hour and a half there. To, to think, you know, I was going to get offered a deal um, and then being turned around to to basically say, like, I haven't seen you enough. Um, would you be willing to come back pre-season? And I remember um, he spoke to me and he said, um, you know, were you going on holiday? And I said, well, yeah, because obviously I booked to go with my family and stuff. And he um, he just said, oh, if, if you would have said a bit sooner, I could have got you out to, to Iceland with someone... Um, you know, one of my friends out there, coaches, he could have had a better look at you. And I thought, so I just lost my head. I just felt like, you know, 
what is the point? Like, I, I just want to get out of there. Then yeah. and then, I, like, I've opened the door and I seen Joey there and obviously I just felt like, I didn't want to cry in front of Joey, but I just, like, shook my head and I just said, like, honestly, I can't believe it. And he was just like, he, he couldn't believe it either because I, th- I think he knew before I went in that obviously right. what, what was going to be said kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it just sounds, <laughs> you've really sort of laid bare how emotional it is to to be let go by a club that you've worked really, really hard for over the last couple of seasons. I mean, w- what you were saying about, you know, getting a run in the side and coming back, what you thought would be, you know, a better version of yourself and then not to get a chance. I mean, the, the sort of thing I was I was going to pick up, up up on was how did you feel sort of looking at the the caliber of players that Brian Hughes brought in that season? Where I mean, a lot of Wrexham fans thought he did quite badly in the transfer market. Were quite quite unhappy that you were let go. You know, as as a local boy, we'd seen glimpses of, and then we see some some lads in from Scotland, some lads in from God knows where, who just didn't do didn't do the business. How did you sort of feel when you saw that that sort of side coming together? Um, to be honest, I think that season I I fully switched off from from Wrexham. I just thought, you know, not from Wrexham's fault or by any means, you know, the club or nothing. I, but I just literally thought after leaving or after getting told what I was told, I literally thought I don't want to think about football for a while kind of thing. I just went home. I switched off completely about football because I thought, what what else am I going to do? Like, um, I was thinking, you know, where else can I go? Because I ain't really been out unknown in the English system at all. Maybe no one in England see me play. So I just felt like, you know, obviously I knew Carnarvon 100% that they'd take me back. So I thought, you know, being in Carnarvon, being living back home and stuff, I just felt maybe that that's what I've got to look to to kind of do. And I kind of got a deal out early with Carnarvon, which obviously I'm grateful for them for 100% taking me and obviously showing faith in me as well. But I quite enjoyed kind of working part-time as well. You know, I was doing a bit of labouring work and I got got to know a bit more about doing a bit of joinery work so I was doing um, deckings and haven and stuff like that and I fully enjoyed that um, which yeah it was completely yeah. obviously a change of being full-time football but I think that was a season which I kind of just thought you know I've bettered myself again which I was getting you know playing every game I was a massive part of Carnarvon kind of you know reaching the playoff again and I think obviously I caught a bit of attention from other clubs after the season I had at Carnarvon. Then, do you think you were just a victim of circumstance? Really, what I, what I mean by that was there was a lot of managers in a very short space of time at Wrexham, and when you bring a new manager in, they always look to experience first. So, say if you had like a manager who'd been there for I don't know Brian Flint's a bad example because he was there for so long, but someone who could really see a player develop. And then know that they can trust that player over over you know a couple of months or a couple of seasons. I mean, but to to for Wrexham to be in that state where they were swapping manager again and again and again, you you know, I think Paul Rutherford said last week that every time a new manager came in, he always went to the bottom of the pile because he was a young player at Chester and he had to bring himself back up again. Did you feel that? Did you think, oh no, not another manager coming in? Now I have to do it all again. <laughs> I, I, 100% I, I did feel like that but I but I felt for me it was kind of like oh what like ideal kind of thing you know a fresh start they're going to come in and think you know we'll we'll look at 
who's there. And I felt like in training every day, I felt like I gave everything. I felt like I was always kind of making sure I was getting goals, assists or whatever in training as well, just showing that, wow, we should, we should get a chance. But then it kind of, you know, maybe it was my fault for thinking, oh, you know, ideal that they were going to kind of a new manager coming in to to think it's a fresh start which like you said it was 100% about going to, for experience rather than seeing youth coming through you, you mentioned Joey Jones as well and you know that he's kind of he backed you and you got that sense that he shared your frustrations with the way that you were being treated do you feel that he was sort of pulling his hair out during this period of the club. Is that the impression that you got off him? Is that he didn't really feel that the managers were doing a great job? Yeah, um, 100%. I, I, I still remember being in Joey's office, just sitting there having a cup of tea with him and Mickey. And I felt like um, Mickey as well, like obviously he's such a legend and stuff like that. And I remember seeing him for the first time, obviously a lot from Port Maddock as he was a manager at Port Maddock at one point, which, you know, people... Not a lot of people kind of think, oh, yeah, they 100% know Mickey about from that. But I just remember him talking to me saying that, you know, I was I was a good player, which hearing, obviously, Joey say that, Mickey say that, I just yeah. felt a bit like, you know what, I, I actually have got a bit of quality that, I, you know, if, mm. if they see that, I feel like, okay, I can help me, you know, push on to, to have more faith in myself. And But, yeah, we were having a chat and every time they were like, you know, how are some players getting a chance? How are they being on the bench before you or how are they even starting before you? Which I just felt like exactly, you know, if they see that, why couldn't the manager or, uh, you know, the, the coaches at the first team see that themselves kind of thing? In terms of going back to what you are saying about, about breaking down in the car when, you, when the realisation hit that, that was your time at Wrexham at an end, essentially. Given the, the large turnover of managers that had been and gone during your time there, and then that's just reached ahead. I mean, I, I don't want to sort of go overblow it too much, but we know that sort of mental health awareness is very much in, in the public eye now and, and the sort of effects it has on everyday life, let alone somebody in, in the sort of professional football. Did that have like a a big impact in the sense that my understanding is that you kind of fell out of love with football for a bit. Is is, is that fair to say? Yeah. But like that, that, that's what you'd say about it. I think so. Um, I just didn't want to think about football. I just literally switched off, but then I think Canab and that's where it kind of, you know, playing and enjoying it, you know, playing with a smile. That's what people say, but I was actually enjoying my football. I was playing well. And I just thought, how I was kind of treated from certain people in, in Wrexham at the time, um, that I just wanted to prove them wrong. I just yeah. thought to myself, you know, when when he's off, when he's saying to me, oh, would you come back pre-season? I just felt basically that's me, me on a trial at a club that I've been for, for so long, a club that I've loved. You know, I, I gave everything every time I played or, in, you know, not even just playing. I think, you know, going around town, going to schools, charity events. I just felt like I wanted to do that to be a kind of, so that people kind of knew me as well as, you know, he was he was a good lad going around doing all the effort he was doing to charity or with schools around Wrexham as well, yeah. 
it's not like you're like an ambassadorial kind of role model type of thing that, that a lot of the lads do. Yeah, because yeah, um, um, at the time, I think you know, me and Sean Pearson, we were ambassadors for the Junior Dragons, so yeah. you know, that was a big thing for myself as well. Here we are with a quick fire round. Some very quick questions for you, Leo. I'm going to start one with, um, during your time at Wrexham, apart from yourself, who was the most skillful? Um, I think when I was there, Callum Powell, he, was, he loved the... Uh, Whoa! Oh, really? He's, he's he got an absolute skills, slating yeah. last week. <laughs> to be wow. fair, like, God, skills, you know, like, no, a little, you know, that kind of skillful player, you know, that mm. kind of... Yeah. Step over, like like flicks and stuff. Skill, or... Skillful footballer, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that's skillful. But the other kind of skillful player, um, I, I I can't remember seeing. Or I don't remember seeing anyone kind of do a lot of skills or a little trickery or nothing like that. If if I'm being honest, yeah. damning indictment to the state of that squad. That's yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> On, okay, this one might be a bit easier. Who was the worst dressed? Worst dressed. I remember Dibs had some Kristen Dibble at the time. Yeah. When he first going, he had some shocking clobber, like yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you take us through some of it? <laughs> Most of them look like pajamas, to be honest. <laughs> Fair play. Who was the most underrated player? The player who never really got the credit, but was was better than people thought. Um, you could say Leo Smith. <laughs> yeah, it could be one of them. <laughs> no, um, was, uh, I think Chris Allroyd. I think mm. no. Yeah, I think in training and all that, he was he was brilliant, and mostly in games, I think I, I was. I got proper close and I used to look up to Chrissy as well. I think he was underrated in what he kind of done at Wrexham as well. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll back you up on that one. Who was the biggest moaner? Um, my first season, John, John Rooney was a, he was a big moaner at the time. Right. But um, I, I think that just shows he was a pure winner kind of, you know, in training as well and, and, and games as well, yeah. Fair enough. And the last one from me, which teammate was the tightest with money? I'm not too sure. Like I can't remember, you know, doing anything with you know getting the coffees or anything like that. So I, mm. I'm so sure, yeah, maybe at the car schools or whatever. But you know, I think at the time it was me and Robbie or you know Wally Marks at the time. So no, I I, I couldn't really answer that question. Does Jordan Davis? Know. Does Jordan Davis buy his round of coffees? Does he? Does he put his hand in his pocket? Oh, George. To be fair, give it to George. The um, used to pick me up and take me to Thai where I was staying with Scoot at the time. So, yeah, me and Joel, we kind of, you know, we were going out for food, going for coffees quite often, and we kind of messaged him last week. Um, I think, yeah, when he put that, um, I don't know if it was when he's, you know, got that number seven or when he was doing the, the pictures with the new kit, and I said to him, I tweeted out, like, I hope you still remember me kind of thing. And, you know, I, think I saw that tweet about saying, uh, I seen I had a Snapchat memory of me and him going for coffee about four or five years ago, and he was. You know, I think we we need we're well overdue a coffee date. Yeah. So you made the move to Carnarvon permanent. Um, 
and then I think I think scored four in twenty, I think, for them. And then back into full time football via TNS it's last summer, the June last year, I think they came in. Yeah, last year, yeah. Um, How did that come about? Because that that must have been music to your ears, mustn't it? Because even though you said you you didn't you've enjoyed the labouring aspect and, and working, uh, you know, and doing part time football, surely the long term aim was to get back into full time. Yeah, and I kind of, you know, when I signed at Carnarvon, I know I lost love for football and all that, but I said, um, I said to them, you know, I want to help this club kind of thing move forward, but if a chance comes for me to go back full time, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, everyone at the club kind of knew that before I went there, that's, that was my aim to kind of enjoy football again, to to push myself, you know, further along and, like you said, I think I, I did score four or five goals in the league and I scored two or three in the cup, which I felt, you know, playing as a two in midfield or I felt that was quite good. And mm. I think the league got cut short because of COVID. But I remember coming to January and Ed Koniski put a bid into Carnarvon for me, which I felt at the time, you know, you know another Welsh Prem club putting a bid in for me, I felt like, Oh, I, I felt like I was doing something right and then after that kind of they rejected it and all that and TNS, I heard that TNS put a couple of bids in and I felt like okay um, but it kind of broke, didn't break down but I think Carnarvon rejected it of what they like, valued me a lot more than what kind of was put out um, but then I only signed a year contract which Obviously, unfortunately for Gavin, not that I've lost out money, but it came to after COVID. I, I had talks with TNS then when when my contract was running out, and I it was a perfect move for me, um, football wise, full time, which I felt it was perfect. And I believe that it wasn't just TNS. I think I think you said that, that there was a few um, ex football league clubs interested. What, what where was the other interest from? Um, I had um, it was Kidderminster. There was. Um, there was an option and I had like a couple of other I think Port Vale they offered me to go in for a trial as well which yeah. I felt like I, I, I told people I, I wasn't going to go anywhere for a trial which I felt like you know I believed in my quality that you know if someone wants you they that, that's where you feel wanted kind of thing so that's where I that's where my heart took me yeah is that, is that was that the experience that at Wrexham at the end that kind of put you off going for that as well, do you think? I just felt like, you know, I've been there for so long, why should I have to prove myself again, which I kind of, I did know, I did believe in my quality if I go there, but I just felt like, you know, if I go back for a week, two weeks, and then him turn around to me and say, oh yeah, we want to offer you a contract, or because I'm sure at the time, I think they said maybe that they didn't have enough money, which I felt like, like you're saying to me that, you don't have enough money which to take in two, three, four other young lads but getting rid of me kind of thing, which I felt like obviously you want the Wrexham to to produce young youngsters and stuff, but I just felt like didn't really think it was quite fair which how I was you know, what what got told to me at the time. You mentioned um, trials. Is are they quite awkward? They always seem to me like it must be quite a daunting experience. Can you can you talk us through what it's like when you get called to a trial somewhere you don't know anyone? It must be pretty difficult. 
I think the only trials I've had was when I was, you know, youngster, like a, a young lad. I think I had trials at Liverpool, Birmingham. I'm sure I had a week trial at Wrexham. And, and my cousin was playing at the time at Wrexham for a couple of seasons, which obviously I knew him. I was watching him a couple of, you know, couple times a year playing at Wrexham. So I got to know a couple of the lads, but I still felt nervous then. So, you know, you, you go into somewhere which you think a trial is for them seeing you maybe in one, two, three training sessions and then maybe one game for the club or the manager to then decide, oh yeah, we either want you or not. And I think it's it's quite hard to judge someone off one game, maybe if they're not match fit or stuff like that. I think everything comes into that. And obviously it's unpaid. So basically Port Vale are asking you to go and do a week's work for nothing, essentially. Yeah, obviously I'd have to, you know, find somewhere to stay there for a week, pay out my own wage. Obviously some some people would do it. Some people, if they, if they had the money or if... No money's nothing to them. They they'd go and do it and kind of push for it. Obviously, I I believe in my quality that I, you know I think if a trial at another club come along, maybe now I think okay, I'd push myself and believe in myself to kind of get something. But I just feel like you know if if you know a good couple of clubs are interested and and they show good interest that. I know that's where I'd want to be if, if the club's right for me, yeah. Yeah. Before we uh, move on, I think we slightly glossed over it, but when you said um, Brian Hughes mentioned about about the, the link in Iceland, was that him basically saying you could you could get fixed up with a club over there? Was that was that what he was pushing towards? I kind of, when, when I left the room, I kind of thought, was that what he meant? But then I thought, no, he, he definitely meant as in, he knew someone out there and if I because I think their their seasons over our summer like obviously our off season here which I felt like you know if if I went out there to play a couple of games for him to kind of talk to his friend to say oh yeah he's he's done well here I just felt was that me having to to pay my own money like find my own way there and sort everything like that out and I just thought there was no chance I was doing that Now's a good time as any to pick your fearless moment. And we, we, we tend to ask this, everybody who comes on, the kind of picking the moment that gave you the most pride for Wrexham. I think I've got an idea of what you might pick, but I don't, I'm not going to say it just in case, but I'll, I'll let you tell us. And then if it is, hopefully we've got the clip ready. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely the, the York away. Which I kind of it kind of made it God for that. To me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's hundred percent that. Obviously, that was my first goal. For, no, I think it might be my only goal competitive for Exxon, which I felt it was a massive moment. Which I finally got that goal as well. And no, I felt like I, I took the goal well, and obviously celebrating with the fans. That was an unbelievable experience that I will never forget. Was it nice to get one over on, on Gary Mills as well? Because obviously the Yeah, I think obviously the players that were still there and stuff, I think maybe if they weren't playing whilst he was there, they wanted to, to show that they should have been playing. So it just added that extra spice to the game and obviously it was a for being in such a it was a good environment to be in. Obviously they had a lot of fans there as well. And I think it was a good entertaining game, which 
I think for a neutral, it would have been brilliant to watch. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, well, just a joke. I was going to say you're going to you're going to play the clip because I've got, got it ready clip. as well. Let's right. play it because beautifully, it's got no commentary. It doesn't need any commentary though. It's great. Wow. What a sound. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. Absolutely love it. You were saying earlier before we came on air that you got booked for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think obviously I stood there. I honestly I didn't know what to do for a celebration. I didn't I just like obviously I just felt numb at the time. But I had uh, Tums there, you know, hooking me, trying to pull me into the crowd and obviously after that I just felt it did feel real and Obviously, I was proud of, proud of myself and to kind of get the chance to take a, a good goal as I did, yeah. It's a cracking finish. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Not bad, but probably, I mean, obviously your favourite moment for Exxon, but probably not not your best goal, if we're honest. We've seen, oh, well, yeah. we've seen a couple of your goals go viral. So the one versus Bala, wasn't it, I think? Um, yeah, which... But obviously it got caught on camera, so that's all I'm I'm worried about. So Yeah. Cracking goal, dribbles everywhere, then a lob over the keeper, go and seek it out, it's quality. And then there's another one recently, wasn't there? Was it Glentor in a way? Glentor in a way, yeah. Take us through that one, because I mean, again, that this kind of falls in line with what you've been saying throughout this podcast so far. The theme is you've always backed your own confidence. Um, you know, I you believe in your own ability. A moment like that, prove it. I mean, that goal against Glen Torum was arguably better than the Ballard one. I mean, what, what's your favourite out of both of them? I think so, yeah. Um, when I look back at it, I still watch it a couple of times now and I just think, obviously, I, I don't think we had a, a shot on target or, you know, a clear-cut chance before that and I just felt... I've gone past one of them and I felt I was going to look for a one-two with someone, but it just kind of like opened up and I felt like there's a little gap for me to kind of dribble a bit more. And I just felt kind of nicely. And obviously towards the end, I felt like I'm going to, I'm going to shape this on my left foot, you know, around the defender. And I thought, no, I'm just going to little scoop it back, a little, um, basically a chop or a little fake. And I just kind of calmly passed it into the corner, which I, looking back at it, I remember the pitch, I had like a big sand pit. I'm thinking, lucky it didn't hit the sand pit, or probably would have stopped it. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely killed the uh, the Glentoran commentary team on that. They kind of <laughs> just sounded so deflated <laughs> when they went in. They kind of had to concede it was such a great goal, but they yeah, just like, sounded um, so fair. <laughs> I've seen a clip that has got no commentary, but um, I think my mate told me then... Um, you know, he, he's watched it back and, and basically they were saying that how, how shocking the Glentor and defence was that they didn't lay a glove on me kind of thing. I thought, oh, yeah, I've just dribbled past four or five of them there. Give me a chance. Like. <laughs> Give you some credit, yeah. <laughs> You're certainly yeah. in great form at the moment. I, sorry, I just wanted to, to mention, uh, Leo, uh, a tweet that was uh, done by someone you probably ruined, you should have had a nabod, you might know, Tom, Tom Ewan Lewis, Tommy Kouse, obviously, Mr. Paul oh, yeah. himself, friend, friend of the podcast, even though we're never having him on. Um, <laughs> uh, he said, I think Wrexham should re-sign Leo Smith. I think it was a mistake to let him go anyway, but he's been playing very well for a while now and is good enough for the EFL, in my opinion. And actually, Rich Fay of the Rob Ryan Reds, 
podcast replied to an absolutely Joey Jones was speechless when he found out he'd been released. Didn't actually think it was serious. He was one of our best midfielders before he left and now he's even better. And having players like him is crucial for inspiring the next generation. Um, what do you make of that? You know, hearing stuff like that or seeing it, it does kind of make you feel like well, at least some people, you know, are still watching me or kind of keep their eye on me and Obviously, it does make me feel good about myself. And obviously, I just want to continue kind of showing my quality. And obviously, um, obviously people talk and then see where, where that takes me. Yeah. Would you come back? Um, I think if the opportunity come about, I would, yeah, 100%. And that, that's, not, that's, not, that's, that's not being a disservice to TNS. It's a fair question. You're still young. No, you feel of like course. You've got unfinished business with Wrexham, I think it's fair to say. Um, left under a bit of a cloud in, in, in that respect. So, obviously, like you said, if the opportunity arises, you probably jump at, at coming back. We'll send a copy of this podcast to uh, Les Reed and Sean Harvey. They The club is really, <laughs> they're really receptive to our emails, aren't they, lads? So, uh, that, that's... Uh... Oh, they can't stop. They, they cannot <laughs> stop replying to them. Oh, <laughs> In the meantime, European adventures. You ask any Wrexham fan of a certain era, of a certain age... We all miss the European games via the Welsh Cup route. How are you finding the European nights? Because, I mean, you scored again the other day and that makes it now. You scored in each of your last six European games, um, which makes you joint second on the list for most goals scored in Europe by a Welsh Premier League player. You're one off the top, held by um, Nomads' Michael Wilde. So you're hunting down records it must be a buzz to, to be in that position, playing against European sides, putting them to the sword, but you must be flying. Yeah, um, I think the European standards are completely different. So you'll get teams that either you know, are quite direct or like Glenn Torren, um, they were very direct and it, it was like two of them games were difficult. It, they were very tough. And I felt obviously the team from Lithuania as well, they were a good passing side kind of, a bit more of a a technical team, but you know, I, I know we when you look back, it was ten one on aggregate, but the game wasn't easy at all. Like, um, or the games, I should say. Um, I've, I remember last season I scored two after coming on um, both games, and this season since that Ben Torren game, I've scored in each game, and I felt the last game, I, it, maybe it was like the the easiest goal, you know, little back post tapping or, you know, every goal counts and I'm just feeling, you know, confident in myself that I'm going to get a goal or get a chance to, to score a goal in each game, yeah. Jordan Davis is obviously the poster boy for Wrexham at the moment. He's uh, Wrexham's number seven. Um, firstly, what's he like off the pitch? And secondly, how far can he go on it? A big one. I think George as well was a big moaner when in, in the youth team. Or, <laughs> you know, stuff like that at the time. He used to say he was a bit big time. He was just loving booting balls everywhere, not collecting them. But nah, George, <laughs> um, a proper genuine lad. I think, you know, going up together and we, we did get close and I still look at him. Obviously, when he went to Brighton, I was still looking at him and I always said to him obviously you know, when I was at Wrexham as well it'd still be perfect for him to come back and 
obviously I was made up when he did come back, but I think you know his quality speaks for himself. Um, but, you know, back then I kind of knew he had the quality. Maybe at the time, you know, I think he'd say himself back then he he hated the gym. I think we we were staying an hour or two after you know everyone else was going to college, and I'd do a bit in the gym or. But George never touched a weight in his life. He just hated the gym, but I think he, he has that natural, you know, leg strength. He's got good, strong legs. And then I think he's, I spoke to, I'm not sure what I spoke to, but they said that they saw him and, you know, he's, he's built himself quite up. So it just shows how, you know, determined he is. And I think he can go no further, but hopefully he can take Wrexham, you know, up the leagues and stuff. But, He's definitely 100% a football league player and, and I hope to see him you know, climb the ladder, yeah. Yeah, well, it would be great to have a Smith and Davis wreck to midfield, wouldn't it? Oh, I'd love that, to be fair. <laughs> I never used to think that George can play in midfield, but um, mm-hmm. obviously left-back, I thought, when he was playing left-back, he just loved bombing on. I thought he should be more of a winger, but then obviously, went, I think when he went to first went to Brighton, he, he was a winger. And then I remember... I was asking him, you know, where he's playing. He, and he said to me, he's playing number 10. And I thought, Jesus Christ, I'd never thought I'd see George number 10. But then, <laughs> you know, watching clips and all that and him playing in Wrexham, he's just, I think, obviously, his free kicks and how he's just, them goals. And I think, was it Halifax? Did he score a hat-trick in Halifax? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, where he was just gliding through him. And, mm. you know, it just shows that how he's adapted to the game as well. Mm. Well, I think um, from all of us here, just want to say thank you for your time. It's been an interesting Absolutely. answer. Especially yeah. for a young player that's, that's kind of, you know, dealt with a period of time where you've had, what, you know, five five managers. Clearly, you've, you've sorted things out and, and, and things are looking good for TNS. So good luck yeah. with the European exploits, good luck with the league. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll see you in League 2 next season. Thanks very much, Leo. Cheers. Last but not least, it's time for uh, Shitey Heroes, our worst Wrexham 11. Last week, we elected Darren Kempson as centre-back, and it's time to pick his partner. Uh, Tim, when you go first. So you've got uh, 60 seconds to make a case. Three, two, one, go. I've gone for Richard Hope Less. He basically won a promotion with Northampton before suffering a relegation with Cobblers and then another relegation at York City. Captain at Shrewsbury Town after leaving Chester and skipping them to the 2006-2007 player final, which they then lost. Brian Carey signed him for Wrexham in June 2007 and inexplicably allowed him to play 35 League and Cup appearances despite producing dire after dire display. His inclusion ultimately contributed to our relegation from the Football League that season. Looking at it, in league games he played, we conceded a goal every 58.51 minutes. When he didn't play, we conceded a goal every 118.71 minutes. Wow. Um, the football gods finally intervened and got Hope furthest away from football. He was last known, well, he, he took up a post-playing career working on oil rigs in the North Sea, cleaning rust off the paint. Screw you, Richard Hope, you're rubbish. And bang on time. Uh, Liam, you can go next. So you got 60 seconds to make the case for your player. Uh, three, two, one, go. 
Okay, so signed from Aldershot by Dean Saunders in June 2010, the player I'm going for is Chris Blackburn, also known as Jesus. His Whoa! nickname was... Hang on. His nickname was biblical, but his defending was sacrilegious. Blackburn was originally signed by Saunders to play at centre-half, but the early signs weren't good. He lacked the aggression required for the rough and tumble of non-league football, wasn't much of a talk and got consistently bullied by opposition strikers. Then Dean Saunders had a magic idea out of nowhere, as he was wont to do at the tail end of his time at Wrexham, and played Blackburn at defensive midfield. He was a revelation in that position and hit a rich vein of form, which coincided with Wrexham making it into the playoffs. However, no sooner had he cemented himself as a player held in high regard at the racecourse than he proceeded to throw a complete strop in the summer 2011. The reason? Blackburn was insistently wanted to play at centre-back, where he was totally crap, or not at all. Well, Jesus completely crucified himself and Dino told him to piss off. His career duly tapered off with it and Rex more than kicked off without him, famously getting 98 points that season. If Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, he can shove it up his ass. Jeez, you've got 15 seconds over because you've spent the last 20 minutes writing this uh, diatribe. I'm, I, I've got some... I got some questions, but let's save them until we've done ours. Because I can I'm... I just say all the way through that, I I just saw Tim pruning his long hair, and I thought yeah. it's the ghost of Chris Blackburn. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> was Chris Blackburn the one who didn't believe in mobile phones, or was that Danny? Yeah, Sonic? yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if you wanted to interview him, you have to leave like a message at at, at the front door. And Chris, Chris might come out later. He'd, he'd hate, he'd hate 4G. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll go next then because I'm usually last. Why not? Three, two, one. I'm going to nominate someone who was actually sent in to us by a loyal listener, Jonah Devitt, and that's Hamza Bencherif. I just, in some research for this, I found an article where Gary Mills described him as a man mountain following his debut for Wrexham. And this is what he said. I've got Mark Crichton as a coach with me now, and he reminded me of him, but I thought Hamza was better than him. Mills said that in a post-match press conference. Jesus wept, was he wrong? Six months later, he'd be sent on loan to York for the rest of the season. Well, he was later re-signed, but then they got rid of him just a year after that. I'll just include Jonah's comments as well. He says, he tweeted a happy Christmas to my little lad after meeting him a few days before. That said, one Rady Macclesfield game, he stopped playing for three goals and even popped a ball, which was pretty impressive. Utterly gash, but a nice bloke. Uh, so I thought it sums him up quite well. Um, and that's me done. So Andy, you're up next. Um, got your auto cue ready? Yeah, don't worry. Okay. It's popping up now. Okay. Three, two, one, go. Look, honestly, I tried my best to find a Brian Flynn centre-half because I wanted to go a bit older, but I don't think Flynnie bought a bad centre-half. Even Dave Riddler was not bad, and I won't have anything said against the young lads. Dean Saunders on the other hand. So, right, ask Alexa, who has all the attributes to be a bad conference centre-half? Alexa would confidently respond, Aurelio Colleen. Bold swashbuckling crazy for every great tackle there was a clanger for every oh alexa's just piped up can you hear that (laughs) for every last ditch header there was a meek nod down again he summed up everything bad about the alexa alexa shut up again he summed up everything bad about the saunders reign 
We've done no research on this fella. He showed up. He was obviously talented, but we were wrong, wrong, wrong. As a footnote, we would have played him if we'd have played that friendly against Philadelphia Union. But the fact that trialist Keanu Mash Brown would have ripped him a new one is all you need to know. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Andy. Crikey. Um, where well, Andy go? and Alexa. Andy and Alexa. Oh, you just say his name again. Alexa, Alexa, shut up. <laughs> Andy, can you say his name again? How do you pronounce his name again? I thought it was Aurelio Colleen. <laughs> it's, surely it's Aurelia Colleen. He's saying Oakley, Oakley in French. Aurelia Colleen, surely. Anyway, not, however... what we, not how you say it in Panakai. <laughs> and I had an E in French, so I think I know. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Where, where, I mean, Tim was up first with Richard Hope. I'm not sure where we can go from there. It's got to be hope, hasn't it? But I mean, Liam, Blackburn, I'm, I, I'm, there's, there's been far worse centre-halves, I mean, they're surely to go. No, centre, at centre-half. He was half. shit at centre-half. He, he, no, yeah, he was yeah. crap at centre-half. He was good at centre, sort of defensive midfield, but my point was the self-sabotage of the man in that he insisted in playing in his worst position. And essentially, I think he played for about two teams after that and was never seen of again. So... Yeah. yeah, and it was also sort of the time where everyone was pulling together off the pitch because the club was in the real dire straits and his attitude was just piss poor. I think that's what capped it off for me. Right, it's all coming out now. Right, okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> you know what, that's, that's a good case. I mean, if anyone's yeah. going to challenge Richard Hope, it's probably going to be that fella, isn't it? Yeah, hand forward that way. I still can't see past Hope. Oh, he was absolute garbage. <laughs> he was we, trying we to sabotage well, us, wasn't he? We might as well shut down the podcast if we go for anybody other than him because the amount <laughs> of people who so got in touch last week said, why have we not discussed Richard Hope yet? How, so, how many yeah. years did we give him? He had a three-year contract, didn't he? Uh, and we got rid of him after one, didn't we? Yeah, but he had a, he had a three-year deal because someone was saying, who was the last player we gave three years to, like new signing? And I'm sure someone said it was Richard Hope. He was tw- he was twenty eight when he came to us. So it might stack up, but he went to Grimsby after after Wrexham, and he lost. I think he played seven games, and and then they they soon figured him out as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just love the fact that he's now abseiling down um, oil rigs to clean off rust stuff that paints. What, it's just kind of- one last thing about Hope. Um, he then moved to uh, my mate Nathan, who's from Rabin, but lives in. Uh, lives near Darlington. He moved to the same estate and he used to like drive around and see Richard Hope just like walking the dog. Just wanted to run him down. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously didn't, thankfully. Um, uh, thankfully for me- Nathan. I mean, I'd have been all right with it. <laughs> I'm, uh, I should mention as well, actually, as I mentioned, Jonah, a regular listener who, who's e- who actually emailed us in a few weeks ago with a full 11. The original centre-backs that he picked were Ryan O'Reilly, who came on loan from Stoke, made one sub-appearance, then jacked in football and was last seen playing basketball in the US. And yep. then Martin Riley, Twitter, need I say any more? <laughs> That's a fair uh, point. Okay, all right. There are some honourable... Honourable mentions, aren't there? Yeah. One thing I will say, I'm not going to have anything about against John Pedgick. No. John Pedgick was absolutely fine for us. He came through our youth system, didn't cost us a penny, tried his absolute best every game he played for us. And also, can I just say, he came on for those that LDV Vans final was absolutely brilliant. 
probably yeah. his best ever game. And what was what was his name? The South End striker was it Eastwood, who was yeah. on fire that mm. season, and he didn't get a look mm. in, did he? So, oh no, actually, he did. He at the post at one stage, but uh, I think. But other than that, he didn't get a look in. <laughs> and Hope Richard Hope was was preferred um, partnership with Pedic over Mike Williams and Steve Evans, who was a Welsh international at that point. So, yeah. He was still rubbish for us, though, so it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, Steve Evans, that is. The second week in a row. Christ, <laughs> I'll, I'll edit it out. It's fine. Um, okay, well, I think that's it. Richard Hope, you are in our uh, worst ever 11. Welcome. Um, I'm sure you're not listening, but if you are, sorry. Um, but that's all for this. Hey, hey, I'm gonna have to. I'll have beeped that out in the edit now, so people are already I, listening. I, I think, I think, you know, we we he was, and anybody would agree with that. There's, there can't be. I can't think of anybody. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went on after it, wasn't there? When we got absolutely thrashed at Shrewsbury five nil. Apparently, there was a big thing after that. I can't remember the ins and outs of it, but I'm sure Hope like text a few of our players to, to something. It was something like it was either text a few of our players to see how shit they were. Or was laughing with some of the Shrewsbury lads because obviously he used to play for them. There was a lot of stuff that went on after that game, which um, just his stock went even worse amongst Wrexham fans. As if it, if it could. Well, now it's hit rock bottom because he's centre back for the shitey heroes. He's uh, their captain. I can't think of a better captain. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll confirm that after we pick the whole 11. Next week, we'll be left back. But that's all for this week. Uh, we're excited to bring you some more guests over the next few weeks. Um, so please stay tuned for that. As always, you can email us or tweet us. And thanks again for downloading the podcast. We do appreciate it. Bye-bye. Cheers, everyone. Bye. See you.